The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Well, as I prepared for this chapel service, I, I went back and I began to look at um, uh, some of the messages that I have preached over these last several months. I looked at my Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, anytime I've had a chance to preach, went through the titles and some of those messages to see how the Lord would direct me. And not in my intent in designing those messages or preparing those messages, but in hindsight, I've looked back on them and I've certainly seen a theme that God seemed to have been directing me in over these last several months. And as I've prayed about it, I believe that's where the Lord would have me to spend some time with you all today. Young people, I want you to know that I am honored to to preach to young people today. Uh, Many of you here, most of you here, seeking God's will, desiring for God's will and what he's called you to do. And uh, I I, want to be a blessing and a help to you, and I want to encourage you. I believe we are living in exciting days. Uh, I believe the Lord is going to do some amazing things in your lifetime, in this generation's lifetime. Uh, I believe that uh, uh, you're going to be able to witness some things that, that we've read about, that we've heard about, that we believe in, and you will get to experience them. I believe it's quite possible that this generation, your age group, will be part of that small group of believers that will not have to experience death personally, and you'll be delivered through the rapture. I believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ, and I believe it could be any day at any point in time. And uh, uh, what an amazing thought to think I, you will not have to experience death potentially and just be delivered into the presence of God. Uh, I have volunteered for that role as well. I've said, God, I am willing to be raptured out of here if you would have me. I'd rather take that. Uh, I'm not afraid of death uh, but the dying process, I'm not sure I'm crazy about. Uh, I, several years ago, I was called, uh, I got a call early in the morning about 1 a.m. It was from an ICU nurse, and she asked if I knew this gentleman's name. And I said, I do. He goes to my church, and she said, he's here. And, and I did not know. He's an elderly gentleman in our church, and I didn't know he was even in there. His children uh, didn't tell me. His children weren't even concerned about him, and so uh, he had called for me, and so I went to the hospital about one in the morning, and, and I said, Bob, what's going on? And, and he says, Pastor, he goes, I, they say I'm dying. And, and I said, well, Bob, are you all right? He goes, well, I'm scared. And he goes, I'm not as scared of death. I know where I'm going. And he goes, but that dying part kind of worries me. And he goes, I'm not sure I'm ready for that, and was able to spend some time with him and encourage him, and, and I would agree with him. I would rather be raptured out of here. And so these are exciting days, young people, and I'd encourage you uh, to look at them in that fashion, but we also must look at them in a biblical way as well. In these days that we live in, known as the last days, and I would think we could call them the last of the last days, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul tells us of a falling away that will take place. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says a departing will take place. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says they are perilous times. 
2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, men will not endure sound doctrine in those days. Peter will tell us in 2 Peter chapter 2 that there will be false prophets with damnable heresies. And then he tells us in verse 2 of chapter 2 that many will be followers of those false prophets. John tells us in 1 John chapter 2 there will be a spirit of antichrist that will abound. In the letter of 2 John, he says that there will be deceivers. And from my text today, I'd like you to turn to the book of Jude. The book of Jude this morning. And in the book of Jude, he tells us there that there we are to earnestly contend for the faith because of those that will creep in unbeknownst to us. So I'd like to speak to you for a few minutes this morning, not just about these exciting days, but these exciting and dangerous days that I believe we're in right now. I recently began a series of messages on Sunday evenings. I'm looking at the, uh, uh, I'm calling it a long look at the little letters. Uh, These four epistles in the New Testament that have just the one chapter, Philemon, 2nd and 3rd John in the book of Jude. And so I've been spending quite a bit of my study time looking through these books, reading up on these books, and, and um, one, more than one author has stated that obviously these books are often overlooked because of their size, but multiple authors and teachers have said that perhaps Jude, because of its size and because of its location right next to the exciting book of Revelations, often just gets thumbed over often does not get taken much time and study through. And, um, and, and so I want to encourage you to, let's hear the message that Jude had for not just his readers of that day, but for us today. It's a message that I believe is as applicable for us today as it was in Jude's day, and perhaps even more application today as we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ, as we see more and more of these descriptions, as we've mentioned of these dangerous days that will take place. And so this morning, I'd like you to see with me, first of all, how Jude speaks of himself in verse number one. He says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Uh, Most Bible scholars that, uh, that I have read and what I've heard from most teachers and preachers is they believe that Jude is the earthly or the half-brother of Jesus Christ. That his parents, uh, Mary and Joseph, uh, were, were his parents, and, and so he grew up in this home with Jesus. As you know, most of, uh, of Jesus' life and ministry, most of his family did not believe that he was who he said he was. They did not recognize him as the Messiah, as the Savior. It was not until after his resurrection that they agreed that he is who he said he is. And so Jude, uh, instead of highlighting his relationship with Jesus, he recognizes himself as the servant of Jesus Christ and then the brother of James. We see a great humility in in this man and in this letter. He then speaks of his audience in verse number one. Again, not identified as a uh, which specific church, but he, uh, he identifies it as a church because they are sanctified, they are preserved, and they are called. Many believe this to be the same congregation that Peter addressed his letter to in 2 Peter. 
Perhaps Jude didn't even know this congregation, never had been there, but he wants to write to them. He speaks of his desires for this congregation in verse number two. He says that mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied or be added unto you. But then Jude gets to the purpose of his letter. He speaks of his original and final intent for this letter in verses three and four. This is where I'd like to spend my time with you here this morning. He says, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude begins his intent with, I wanted to write to you about the common salvation that we have together. Again, Jude perhaps didn't even know this this body of believers, had not possibly been there and and he wants to write to him and says, hey, listen, I know uh, Peter, or I, I'm familiar with you because of these individuals I know. We have something in common. This morning, I have no idea how many of you are in here, and the vast majority of you have no idea who I am. You'll forget my name by this evening. Uh, you don't know me, but I, if you know Christ as your Savior, you and I have a commonality together. Uh, We, you and I, have something that bonds us together. I've had the privilege through the years to make uh, several trips across the world to different mission fields and be in a place where I didn't look like those people and I had a different culture than those people and, and different ways of living. But we had something in common a bond, and, and immediately there was, a, there was a, a, a draw between us, and it's because of that common salvation, and what a wonderful thing this would be to write about. What a great thing this would be to express, and, and, and truly it seems to be Jude's desire. I wanted to write to you about this common salvation betwixt us, but then he says, I realized there was something that was greater, something that was more needful. And he says that I needed to write to you and I needed to encourage you that you would would earnestly contend for the faith. And so, so instead of the common salvation, he speaks to them about contending for the faith. This idea of earnestly contending, it's the idea of striving, exhorting great effort on one's part. No doubt I think it could be best explained through the, the picture of athletics where a ball player, uh, an individual involved in a sport on a court or on a field, or they're, they're, they leave it all out there. They've exerted everything they have. They leave that game, they leave that competition with nothing left in them. That is earnestly contending for the faith. I'm not a great follower of the National Hockey League, the NHL, but uh, I do like watching playoff hockey. It goes to another level. It's more physical. It's more, uh, uh, there's more on the line there. Uh, lose and you go home. And so these men, they put it all out there. And, and um, 
uh, probably one of the greatest hockey players that ever lived was a man named Wayne Gretzky. Uh, he, I believe, won four Stanley Cup championships. And, and I read an article about him years ago, and it was talking about in there how uh, his first time to the Stanley Cup finals, they lost. And um, the other team won, and there's great... Uh, traditions of them handing out this Stanley Cup trophy that gets passed around and each player takes a turn right, skating around the rink and the other team watches that and, and then there was that time and then they went to their locker rooms and there was interviews. It was several hours after the game was over and Wayne Gretzky was getting ready to leave and he said, I'm going to walk by the other locker room and maybe hear their celebrations and see their cheering and and celebrating might inspire me to be a better hockey player. And as he went by that locker room, he was surprised that he didn't hear the celebrating. He didn't hear this, uh, this great time of partying. He, he looked in and he saw men uh, laying on the floor with ice packs on their knees and on their shoulders and, and, and completely exhausted. Men that had earnestly contended not just through that series of games, but throughout the playoffs for this. And that's when Wayne Gretzky realized what it took to be a champion, what it took to, to, to complete this task. And young people, today, you live in a dangerous world. You live in a world that is constantly changing. Second Timothy chapter 3 describes it as a perilous, dangerous time. And it says it's going to wax worse and worse. You live in a dangerous time and it is, it is necessary that you would earnestly contend for the faith. You must be prepared for people. People that will come in, as Jude describes, creep in, unawares, sneak in, trying to cause havoc, trying to cause doctrinal disruptions within a church and a ministry. You must be on guard for the people. You must be on guard for the philosophies of this world that are abounding around us, that are pushed on us by our media, by the public education world. All of these philosophies that are coming upon us. I was listening to a podcast well, several months ago and I didn't get the lady's name that they were quoting. It was a lady that had authored a book, but she, and I would surely give her credit if I knew it, but she listed four of the philosophies that she believes she's, she sees in our world today that are ruling our world, that our world seems to be living by. Uh, each of these philosophies, they, they could be corrected, they could be uh, put down by biblical uh, uh, biblical points and, and, and biblical ideas, but this is what our world seems to be living by. She said the first one are that feelings are the ultimate guide. That, that people are just living according to their feelings. If you were to look at your heart as the center of your emotions, I would remind you, according to Jeremiah chapter 17, you can't trust your heart. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Several years ago, I was driving down the highway in an interstate and was getting ready to come. A bridge was going over top of us, and so there were these columns that were there, and I noticed some graffiti on one of them. Somebody had painted on that. Not always wise to read those things, but I did that day. 
And as I looked over there, it just said this, trust your heart. And for the first time in my life, I wanted to become a graffiti artist. I wanted to pull over at that next exit, buy some paint and come back and say, don't trust your heart. And I would proclaim to you today, young people, don't live by feelings. Don't trust your heart. Trust God's word. The second feeling, she says, seems to be dominating our world is happiness is the ultimate goal. Well, that sounds great and wonderful, but it's just not true. Happiness is not the ultimate goal, at least for a believer. It should be God's glory. You know, even coming to this, this event here today, you know, I've been praying about this and, and, and asking that I could be a blessing to you folks today, that I could be a help to you, and I want that. But God has often reminded me in those prayers, Mark, go so that I can get some glory. I want to live my life. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all for the glory of God. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 tells us that God created us for his glory. And sometimes for God to get glory, it's not always fun. God does allow, and we do go through difficulties at times. And ultimately, though, God receives glory for that. Let me remind you of this as a Christian. It will be worth it all. It may be difficult in this life. It may be trying at this, in this time of your life, but allow God to continue to work in your life and it will be worth it all. Feelings are the ultimate guide. Happiness is the ultimate goal. She says this, in this our world today, judging is the ultimate sin. Now what the world calls judging is oftentimes just a believer living by God's word. When the Bible says a lifestyle is a sin and we live by that, suddenly the world says, oh, you're judging us. And so let me remind you what the world calls judging is often just being a Bible-believing Christian. And I would encourage you to continue to put your faith in this. She ended with this final thought of seems to be the prevalence in our world today is that God is the ultimate guess. And I'm meeting more and more people who are just not sure if there's a God. They're not outright declaring there's no God, but they're not certain there's a God. And I have had the privilege of, at least with a handful of these agnostic people, if they're honest, it's pretty easy to prove there is a God. I said, let's spend some time studying the Bible. Let's spend some time of you uh, 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 studying God's word. And, and oftentimes I've seen those individuals come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and to put their faith in him. But these seem to be dominant philosophies of these days. You're going to have to encounter people. You're going to have to encounter these philosophies in these exciting and dangerous days that you live in. And so Jude gives us at least three thoughts on how we can overcome the philosophies and the people of these last days. And so let me give you those three thoughts, and I'll be done today. Number one, notice with me in verse number five, Jude says, I will therefore put you in, take note of the word, remembrance. Though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, and afterward destroyed them that believed not. He's going to continue on, and for the majority of these illustrations, he's going to go back to the Scriptures. He's going to go back to the Old Testament 
Notice with me in verse number 17. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken thereof of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. We believe he's referring back to a letter that Peter wrote. He says, remember these words, these inspired words that Peter gave you. And then notice with me in verse number 20. But ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Let me, let me encourage you, you want to over, in these dangerous days, you want to overcome apostasy, you want to overcome apostates, these people that are going away and walking away from the faith, the philosophies of this world, you want to overcome them? Then you remember God's word and prayer. It really comes back to the most elementary thing, the things you started learning in your Sunday school classes when you were two and three year old, two and three years old, the importance of the word of God in your life and the importance of prayer in your life. You know, today here I am standing before you as a 52-year-old man, been in the ministry for 28 years, and I would tell you today the most important thing I can do every day is to get into God's Word, to read it for myself, to spend a season of prayer each and every day, and I can't do it enough. Here you are studying, many of you for the ministry, many of you uh, for the calling that God's placed upon your life. And the most significant and the most important thing you can do in these days is to remember God's word and prayer. There's nothing more important that will prepare you for this day that you live in than to be in the scriptures and to be in fervent prayer each and every day. And so I'd encourage you today, you want to overcome this, not become a victim of these apostates that will abound in our age, in our time, then you stay within God's word and you stay on your knees before the Lord. Remember the Bible and remember prayer. Let me give you a second thought. Remember someone. Look with me down to verse number 22 and 23. And of some having compassion making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Every one of us in here, you know someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ. It may be a relative, it may be a coworker, a neighbor, a roommate, whatever the case, but God's placed people in our lives that need Jesus Christ. And young people, we are in these last moments. The return of Christ is imminent. He could come back at any moment. And those people need Jesus Christ. Those people need to hear the gospel. Those people need to respond to the gospel. I encourage you that you would have this compassion and passion in your life to take the gospel, the one thing that can make the greatest difference in their life, take the gospel to them. I feel like we're in a, a game here and we're in the last two minutes of this game and we've got to pour out all, all the, uh, do everything that we possibly can in these last moments and minutes of this game. And I would encourage you that you would have a burden for that individual, that you would take the gospel to them. Several years ago, I was pastoring a little church in Columbus, Ohio, and on a Wednesday night, we maybe had 50 people in our, in our Bible study that evening, and I was closing the, the doors of our auditorium, getting ready for this, and a man walked into our, 
our, our foyer there. And, and um, just to be honest, he didn't look like he belonged at a Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, he had tattoos everywhere, piercings everywhere. And I thought if he was even lost. And I said, hey, how you doing? He says, hey, I'm looking for so-and-so. He invited me to come tonight. I said, awesome. So I took him right down there and introduced him to, or showed him where his friend was sitting. And he came in and this man began, uh, stayed for that evening. And I talked to him after the service and uh, I asked him some questions. And before long, he said, he goes, he goes I, I, I'm an agnostic. He goes, I, I grew up going to Sunday school and stuff because I just don't know if it's real or not. And I said, well, listen, why don't you just stick it out for a few weeks and see what you think? He said, well, I work Sunday mornings. I can only come Wednesday nights. I said, well, we have church on Sunday nights too. And he said, oh, okay. And so he started coming Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. It wasn't long before this young man bought a Bible with him. And uh, it wasn't long before he started participating in Bible studies, raising his hand, asking questions, giving his thoughts. And after several weeks, it wasn't long that, and by the way, he he asked his boss to change his schedule so he could come to church on Sunday mornings. And it wasn't long after just the preaching of God's word, him putting himself in the word of God, that on a Sunday morning he walked the aisle and he said, I'm ready to receive Christ as my Savior. Listen, it was the gospel that changed that young man's life. It was the gospel that made a difference in his life. Reach out to someone with the word of God, with the gospel. So remember the Bible, remember prayer, remember someone. And in these dangerous and exciting days, remember the faithfulness of the Lord. Verse 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. I've been in the ministry for 28 years. I grew up in a preacher's home. All my life, 52 years, I've been in church. I've been been in the ministry. I've not always been faithful to God. I've made plenty of mistakes. I've done things that I should have never done. And I can tell you this today, God has never failed me. God has never done me wrong. And I can tell you today, and I believe with all my heart, he cannot fail me and he will not. And I would encourage you today in these exciting and dangerous days that you live in, you can remember the faithfulness of God Even in those difficult and hard times, God is faithful. And put your trust in him. So remember the word of God in prayer. Get back to the basics. Remember someone that needs the gospel. And then remember the faithfulness of our Lord. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.